0: You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com surfing or at surfsimply.com.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode thirty-five of the Surf Simply podcast. My name is Harry Knight, and with me today is Rue Hill. Hello, everyone. Asher King. Hey, guys. Jesse Carnes. Hello. And Will Forster. Hello, everybody. We have been off air for rather a long time.
2: We'll but we'll
3: we're, we're back. back. We're back. And the group has grown. We got we got five in the room today. We have. <laughs>
1: we're, we're pushing the limits of our uh, recording equipment.
3: Yeah, we've been off
1: air for rather a long time, listeners, so I'm going to open this up with a big apology to everyone. Uh, We have all been off, we've been travelling, we've got lots of stuff going on out here in Costa Rica that we've been arranging. Some of us have been out in Indonesia running some projects out there.
2: We've actually got a very exciting announcement coming up, which, annoyingly, we can't talk about just yet. (laughs) But it's been a huge amount of work. And I hope we can announce it in a few weeks, actually.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, apologies, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that we left in the dark a little bit as to why we've been off air. But we are back. Uh, We're going to be recording a little bit more regularly. And because we've been off air for such a long time, we are going to give you the bonus present of an extra special double episode. So, this is actually episode 35A. uh, And 35B will be in your podcast feed very, very shortly. Are we going with 35A or 35 Part 1? Part 1. Maybe this is Part 4, and then we can do Part 5, and then we can have, nice. a, yeah, there we ah. have some prequels further down the line when we
0: talk about what we've been doing while we've been away. Is this a Star Wars reference that it's is lost yet. on Jesse and I? <laughs> I have no and idea. We should, just collectively, we should just collectively roll our eyes. At have you guys things.
2: genuinely not seen
0: <laughs> Star Wars?
4: No, I have. I just didn't catch on to that one. <laughs>
1: Um, so, yeah, what's everyone been up to? What have you been up to, Ro? Because I haven't seen you for about two months now.
2: Well, uh, you guys have all been on a lot of amazing trips. I've been working on our massive secret project here in Costa Rica, but uh, I did get to go to the North Shore Hawaii last week with Will yeah. and Jesse, um, which was awesome. And uh, we, we were kicking around the idea of doing a little Surf Simply satellite project there at some point, although there's a lot of details that need to be ironed out. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I, I think like a lot of our listeners uh, would really like to go and check out the North Shore, and I think a lot of people are intimidated by you know films like (laughs) busting down the door that make the whole experience look terrifying and footage of people getting mauled at pipeline backdoor Uh, and actually you know it's a really really awesome community and it's one of the most beautiful beaches I've ever been to Uh, and I think the way that we did it is actually a way that a lot of our listeners like a lot of level three surfers that want to go and experience it and check it out could, could do it kind of the same way we did
4: yeah, um Will and I went and checked uh Sunset at 1 Point and we went we walked around to a different perspective and sunset looked like a fun wave at Guiones. Like it wasn't intimidating at all. When you think of going to the North Shore, you think you're going to get worked and and you know pushed down on the reef and big waves, but it wasn't. It was really friendly and and fun. Yeah.
2: So so there's actually some there's this stretch of coast between Shark's Cove and Sunset Beach. It's like beautiful golden picture postcard sand. And the roads kind of set back a little bit. So it's nice and quiet. And, you know, obviously you've got these amazing waves there. But in between Rocky Point and Sunset, you've actually got some really, really soft, friendly waves that you never see in the movies. And people don't go to the North Shore to surf them. Mm -hmm. There's Cammy's Reef and there's Monster Mash and I think, I'm not quite sure, but I think that between Monster Mash and Rocky Point, they call it Stone Land, or was it something like that? Where we were staying was really nice, because if you were going out there as perhaps like a mid-level surfer, you could stay anywhere between Rocky Point and Sunset, and paddle out at Monster Mash uh, or Cammies, uh, and surf both of those two reefs. You know, in like head high to double overhead range, they're pretty fun and friendly. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. just down the beach, you can walk down and you can check out You know, backdoor pipeline off the wall and Rocky Point and watch incredible surfing going on there. And actually the way the beach bends, when you're staying on those houses there, you're looking sideways into sunset. So you're seeing it peel right down towards you, which is really cool. Uh, And there's a bunch of rental properties like the one we stayed in, just right on the beach there. So I mean, that's a really, if you're someone that loves the idea of visiting the North Shore, but have been put off by horror stories of terrifying waves, it's definitely somewhere that's worth checking out. And I think that's the way to do it.
0: And just to put into perspective how friendly the waves were, uh, Jesse and I tandemed the reef out front of the <laughs> house on an 8.2 NSP. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. So yeah you, you almost forget that it's small and fun a lot of the time there because you see so much incredible footage. Uh, surfing, I, I went and was surfing up at the beach park next door to Pipeline and I paddled over to Pipe for a bit and it was kind of like waist to shoulder high and it was right when Sunset Elementary had come out. So I, w- I was basically surfing the Pipeline Reef at uh, like waist to shoulder high, probably with a hundred under tens who all surfed better than me. And it was such an
1: amazing experience. And Asha, we've uh, we've been out in Indo. You've been out in Indo forever.
3: Yeah, I've basically been out in Indo since the last time we were on the podcast. I yeah. was out there for almost fifty days. Wow. So that was pretty incredible. We did um I was in the the Mintwai Islands for twenty days with you for the first six and then we went with a group of returning surf simply guests all in sort of the level three and four range, and we just had the best time. Uh, Jesse and Will were out there as well, and we got great waves. Um, Nothing huge in that week. It was probably a bit overhead, and uh, we got to surf such a variety of waves. Um, Everyone really got to kind of accomplish their goals. Everyone sort of wanted to push themselves, and there was a lot of waves that were really good for that. So I I couldn't be any happier with how that went.
2: I was so envious of you guys being out there. You were posting all the photos that Will was taking uh, and there was that beautiful one of Eddie's son at Burger World where you had him in focus and then like the whole wave was Mm -hmm. speed blurred behind him, Mm -hmm. which looked beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's made me pretty keen to get back out there again next year.
3: I loved it.
4: Yeah, I think it was cool going into it with the the whole group as the objective for everyone to be able to return back to the Mm Mentowies by themselves and feel comfortable surfing reefs and all of that. And I feel like Everyone not only accomplished that, but we'll go to other parts of the world surfing other different types of reefs too. Everyone just charged.
0: And if anyone's looking for a cure for seasickness, 60 hours on a dugout canoe is is the
4: (laughs) ideal treatment.
1: Are you now cured? Completely, yeah. I arrived on
0: the fast ferry seasick and then had no seasickness for the rest of the trip. It was amazing.
2: So I have actually heard if you're a... If you're a, a NASA pilot or if you're in the Air Force and you're trying to cure seasickness, that's literally how they do it. They basically, give you, they make you motion sick so badly that it just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah,
1: that yeah. was well. That, was, that <laughs>
3: doesn't sound <laughs> like <it>. a <laughs> an experience.
2: Yeah. So, no, no, they, st- yeah, they stick you in a black box so that you can't see anything and then they just move it around in the gyroscope so it's huh. moving randomly. So that's basically <laughs> what you were doing as official that's photographer
3: exactly on the yep. <laughs> trip. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yep. <coughs> and then you went on to G Land?
3: Yeah, I, I I did quite a lot of traveling through <laughs> Indo afterwards. So uh, right afterwards, a, a, a big swell popped up on the charts, and I've always wanted to go down to, uh, to to Java. So took the ferry over to G-Land and absolutely scored. I think I could go 100 times again and never get conditions <laughs> as, as good as I did. So a G,
2: a G-Land is one of the most intimidating places I've ever surfed, when it gets big especially because you, you take off at that money tree section and it's all kind of mellow and then you come down to the speedy section and it, it was the first place I'd ever surfed where the wave gets bigger and thicker and more powerful as you go as down you the move line. Along. Right, rather than, you know, after surfing beach breaks and most point breaks really, the wave kind of like peters out as you mm-hmm. go down the line in the biggest bits at the beginning. And especially when the tide's dropping at speedies and, and you're kind of, you're going down the line and the wave's getting bigger and thicker and the reef's getting shallower, shallower and shallower. And suddenly you're just like, there's no
3: exit here. Yeah, what do I do? <laughs>
4: Asher, didn't you get it so good that you basically surfed yourself sick?
3: Yeah, I, I honestly got it so. So when I got there, G-Land can get pretty crowded. And it's, it's usually a, a a group of surfers who all want to get their waves. And w- the day I got there, it was 60 surfers left G-Land. So I had like pretty pretty empty conditions. And the waves got so good, I, c- I couldn't get out of the water. I was surfing 10 hours a day. <laughs> and so I just surfing myself sick. <laughs>
1: Is this now the, the, the same, you know, we're talking about curing Will of seasickness. Is this the cure for the asher froth? We've just <laughs> out-frothed you over. <laughs>
3: yeah, I think I'm, I, I was a broken man after I was that. I say, I don't know if
4: that can happen.
2: So it sounds like you just got like the perfect Venn diagram
1: of offshores and I not pr- too many crowds. I
3: got pretty
0: lucky. It's amazing.
1: And Will, you went to Japan?
0: I went to Japan, yes. And
1: you did the world's quickest but most encompassing trip through japan i've ever
0: heard of. <laughs> <laughs> my trip was brief would call it that it was three days and i had a list of things to do i only actually completed two of those things just because it's such an amazing place walking around you just right. get distracted for hours um so i went on the the shinkansen the bullet train out to mount fuji which was both incredible and hugely disappointing because it was, the summit was cloudy. Uh, so uh, I couldn't see that, you know, the cone top that, that we see in all the photos. Yeah. Really, the cultural difference is just amazing. You know, it's, it's the particularly like using the uh, Metro links around the city. For the first like two days, I c- couldn't even get a grasp at all of where I was going. I was so confused. You know, all the signs are obviously different. It ha- doesn't seem to follow a similar pattern that like London and New York do. Mm-hmm. You can't really work out routes because of all the symbols and, and, and the different, you know, Tokyo is such a massive city and a complex city you know, having been all these small villages and then bigger towns and all connected into one mega city. Now um, it's incredibly confusing. So this might
2: be a really stupid, naive question. I've never been to Japan, but when you're looking at signs, did they have, like, if you're trying to, I can't understand the underground map in English in London. <laughs> so when you're looking at like signs on trains, does it, is it written downwards or like on left to right or right to left or
0: it, it's in a line it's not not vertical oh yeah. okay it look it, it's just a series of symbols and okay a lot of the time they would have the English below it, but it didn't always make sense yeah to me it was more like an, a literal translation so, someone then. had done a google Translate. yeah I think that was that was pretty much it <laughs> yeah, but it was incredible though like the the bullet train itself was just the most amazing like engineering experience ever it's when someone says it's fast it. You can't. You imagine how fast it is, but you never really know until you experience it. How fast is it? It uh, the one I went on nearly hit 200 miles per hour. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's not the fastest line, but it was. You know, the the most disorientating thing is when you when you look out the window and look far, you don't feel you're going incredibly fast because of the perspective. But when you look within the carriage and You can just see like a, it's just like flashing lights through the carriage windows. And it's just the most incredible thing ever. I would recommend it to, particularly to Harry, who like engineering and that sort of thing. I remember the first time I went on the TGV Mm -hmm. in France.
1: And exactly as you say, like you're not particularly in northern France. It's just these big open fields. So it's like, yeah, well, you know, we're we're rattling along at a fair pace. And the thing that really got me was when this other train flashed past the the windows. And it's like, oh, it's like a two carriage commuter train Uh and it wasn't it was a 15 carriage tgv (laughs) going the same speed in the opposite direction and it went i mean that the closing speed must have been getting on for you know 400 miles an hour and it just ridiculous yes
0: (laughs) when i sat at um mount fuji station and a a non-stop bullet train came through shinkansen bullet trains Mm. a nickname for it um when it came through it like you could hear it, obviously they're going like 200 miles an hour and yeah. so you can hear it from a long way away but actually the time it takes to pass you in the station <laughs> you know, you, could, you couldn't click your finger quick enough there'd be,
2: be a pretty cool Doppler effect as it went past yeah. as well at that speed yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely
0: Yeah, I took a um, took a photo from the platform on a long exposure and I set it for like uh, it was like a 10 second exposure or something like that and I think uh, when I looked at the settings the actual photo afterwards and what it records it was something like 0. 0.4 of a second and it was gone and the rest was just empty station (laughs)
2: empty
1: track in front of me yeah that's so
2: cool and how about you Harry you went to QED among
1: lots of other things I did I went to the uh, QED conference in England which is the uh, sort of science and scepticism conference which regular listeners will know me and Rue always like to slip a bit of science and scepticism and rational thinking into our
2: I was I was really uh, envious. I really really wanted to go to that. The lineup looked amazing. There was Simon Singh and Richard Wiseman and Cara Santa Maria was there. Yeah,
1: it was. And your dad was one of the speakers as well, right? Well, my dad spoke. There was sort of a little fringe uh, thing going on on the Friday, uh, the day before, and he spoke at that. Yeah, which was, That's was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. It was very really <laughs> cool. But you know, it was it it was really interesting. There were some really interesting talks um, on a whole bunch of different topics actually you know some of them were, were going down a much more sort of scientific route There was one really interesting guy who he did this hour-long talk about things some of which I'd sort of heard of but a lot of stuff that I just didn't even know existed that is not necessarily viable technology now but it will be and the, the, the ramifications for that going forward. And it was it just fascinating. Hearing people speculate
2: about the future is one of my favorite things to look up online. Yeah. Uh, there's, I've heard of a lot of people who describe themselves as futurists. There's a few mm. good TED talks uh, by people who describe themselves as futurists. What's interesting <laughs> though is if you look at the pattern, people always massively overestimate the five to 10 year uh, scale yeah. and massively underestimate the like 50 to 100 year scale, yeah. which is kind of an interesting thing just to notice. One of the things that you were, we were talking about the other day, though, one of the talks that you said you went to was about science communication. And I was yeah. really interested just kind of listening to you talk to the coaching team on Sunday uh, about how some of that science communication translates into the way that we're teaching.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's something that you don't necessarily think about all the time. But any sport, if you, as soon as you start thinking about the biomechanics of how it's working or the physics of what's going on when you hit a ball with a racket or you know anything like that, there's an awful lot that you have to explain to somebody who's coming at it from another side. And it, it is science communication. And, and that's not an easy thing to, you know, we do. there are people that are obviously, you know, David Attenborough or Brian Cox or... Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, yeah. come with me now. <laughs> um, or Carl Sagan, you know, the, the guys who are very, very famous for taking hugely complex subjects and breaking them down. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And I, I thought there were a couple of interesting bits to take away in terms of actually sports coaching. Maybe I'll do a piece on it yeah, further I, down I, the line for the podcast when we don't have quite such a busy episode. Where have you been, Jesse? After Indo and before Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, I, I kind of like Asher planned a crazy. But mine was less organized than Asher's. Mine was kind of like all around the world. I went to Ireland in between. Um, my brother and his girlfriend planned a trip and I just kind of was like, hey guys, can I come along with you? And they're like, of course. And luckily my brother surfs too, so it was a surf trip.
2: Your brother charges. My
4: brother charges. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, he's definitely got the better surfing genes out of the both of us.
2: Oh, that's just not true, Jesse.
4: <laughs> but he listens to the podcast, so I want him to hear that. <laughs> 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 um. So, yeah, uh, it was It was a different surf holiday for me. It was freezing cold water. I think it was like uh, 54 to 58 degrees. I think that's like 13 to 17 degrees Celsius.
2: And this is right after Indo.
4: This is right after Indo. So I went in with like confidence to charge, but... Then I put on a five mil wetsuit and it just completely went out the window because having a five mil wetsuit on is the hardest thing to surf with. Like you can't move, can't, it's hard to pop up. It's hard to just function and paddle and you're heavier on your board. It was a whole new surf experience for me. So, yeah.
2: I always find that uh, when I'm in a wetsuit, I actually want a higher volume board as well.
4: Yeah, I did not think of that ahead of time.
3: (laughs) You're riding like a a 5.8. By twenty-three liter, short for that's pretty small.
4: It was twenty. Yep, twenty-three liter Sally Fitz model. Yeah, but I had I ended up getting used to the wetsuit and the pop up, and ended up having like the one of the best surfs like of my life, a right hand point point break in Doolin, which is like north of Lahinch, about twenty minutes, and uh, freezing cold when I got out. My hands were numb. My toes were numb, and but the best reward ever like getting out and being like a warrior like I conquered the freezing cold ocean
1: it's one of the funny things and I know that I definitely know that Will does not agree with this and I doubt that Rue does either but there's a little bit of me that still misses that that you know being cold in a wetsuit and that that ritual of getting out the water and being a bit cold and warming yourself up yeah feeling you've earned a hot chocolate. will's looking at me with a look of disgust across the room <laughs> harry i can't believe you've just said that you
0: know, go to skegness get like a mushy one foot swell and get in that six mil hood yeah.
2: <laughs> no i like i like a one surfer year where it's really cold just to remind myself why i don't like it and I, I like that feeling when you get out of the sea and you're really cold and you take your wetsuit off and for some reason you're inexplicably you feel quite hot and for about 10 minutes, you can walk around with your wetsuit, like half down around your waist, like with a red glow, feeling like pretty warm uh, when you get out of the sea. I always kind of like that that glow that you have, you know?
3: Yeah, I like the, I think it's quite a, it's a romantic idea chasing really good waves in the cold. Like uh, yeah. I have a couple of friends who've uh, been serving in Iceland a bunch lately. And uh, I, my buddy Justin just got back from the West Coast of Canada and was in a 654, but it, it's, it's like Indo quality waves with nobody out. Yeah. I think I could I think I can deal with the the 654 if it's, you know, double overhead and We empty. would
4: like drive through sheep fields over rocks for like 20 minutes, I guess, and like drive through these fields and you're in the middle of nowhere and then all of a sudden there's this perfect like 7 foot a frame barreling wave with I think no wind there.
3: I think it's so impressive people that charge really hard in wetsuits because it's just that little bit of timing. That makes such a difference mm-hmm. when you're paddling into a wave that, and the and the confidence too i mean
2: uh, and also when you maybe this is just me being a wuss but when you get to a point where every time your head goes under you have like the ice cream uh, knives in your forehead kind of headache because it's so cold so you, when you're doing anything on the wave you're not just thinking about the maneuver, you're thinking, I really don't want to have my head go underwater yeah. well. Please do
3: not <laughs> slap this ice cold water with my face. <laughs> yeah.
4: I think I like yelled every time I came up from a duck dive from an ice cream headache.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there is actually some studies showing that if you swear, it makes pain less. So there is actually some signs behind coming up from a duck dive in a cold day and swearing when you get out of the water. Yeah, But I think you got really lucky because you had offshore waves and mm-hmm. swell the whole time. Yeah. And I know that in ireland you know it can be on shore for weeks on end and and the swell isn't always that consistent
4: yeah everyone was saying how lucky we were because we were telling them how long we were there for and all this stuff and they're like you've had the luckiest week of waves and weather ever so i think i'll take that trip i might go back but i'll take that trip <laughs> as a win for sure
2: how was, finally how was the
1: guinness
4: amazing i loved it it is better in ireland i swear <laughs>
1: Okay, ladies and gents, so what we're going to do, we're going to move on to some of the news now that's gone on. Because we're going to split this episode into two parts, uh, this episode we're going to focus a little bit more on the contest-orientated stuff. There's obviously been a load of world tour contests, uh, we've got new world champions, and we'll come to all of that later. Uh, but a couple of other bits of contest news that have sprung up over the uh, the two months that we've been offline. Two bits of big wave news. Uh, the Eddie cow is not going to take place this year for the first time in... 30 years? I think this year was this year just gone was the 31st, wasn't it? It's kind of a bummer after how good it was last year, which was probably the best one
2: ever, mm-hmm. yeah. I would say. Clyde Icao was quite... Emph- also, the reason it's not going ahead is because Quicksilver and the Icao family have had a disagreement about some of the logistics, I think, of the contract yeah. around the event. Clyde Icao was, was very emphatic that it wasn't a, a money thing. Um, but then he didn't actually say what it was about, yeah. Uh, my understanding is that the, the local city uh, will only issue the permit if it is Quicksilver in conjunction with the ICA family. And now that Quicksilver is not going to be involved, at least this year, it's going to be too late by the time they find a new sponsor to get the permits done in time. So that's why they're having to cancel. I was
1: about it. to say, I think, I think the, it, it's not necessarily that it had to be Quicksilver, but the application had to be made by a certain time. And that's now passed there is now no way for them to get the permit to run the event
3: there was a yeah there was a permit issued but it, it says Quicksilver in the title right and that yeah, now it's, can't it's, be revert, re- revised yeah, so I wonder what ha- well, I mean next year when the permit's up for grabs it's going to be quite a bidding war I mean somebody's going to take it
1: I thought it was
2: slightly ironic that the Aikau uh, family were unable to be diplomatic given
1: the <laughs> history
2: of any ICAO's ability
1: to be uh, a diplomat Yeah, Um, The other bit of big wave news is that the Titans of Mavericks contest, which is a sort of, I don't know, it's a slightly weird side big wave event that's been running the last few years. They are, for the first time, going to allow women to take place. Woohoo! There we go. Jessie's happy. (laughs) But there is actually a a big contingent of female big wave surfers who ride Mavericks on a regular day-to-day basis. And the, the Titans of Mavericks contest was always meant to highlight the local charges—they they, they always put an emphasis in the entry on the local guys—and so yeah, the, the only shame is it wasn't entirely voluntary that they it let women into the felt contest. Felt a little rushed,
3: <laughs> but Jesse, six women allowed. You gonna you gonna do Mavericks this year?
4: Heck no! Come oh, on, cold water.
3: Not. We've been in Ireland. You ready?
4: I, d- I do think like women adding women to that is just gonna open up. A lot more viewers to women surfing in general like seeing that these women are doing the same thing that men are doing is really 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 cool
1: yeah it's the big waves are such a spectacle like the 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 big wave events the photographs and the media that come out of big wave events reach audiences that small wave surfing doesn't yeah and neither the wsl nor the standalone contests like the eddie cow or the titans mavericks none of them have ever had female competitors and there are some female big wave surfers who charge yeah. But they don't have. There is no other avenue within their surfing. You know, they're not competing in small waves or anything like that. This is what they do. This is where they get their, uh, you know, their sponsorship money and stuff like that. So I think it's it's great to see one contest at least putting that on the world stage.
3: The way they do the field is just it's just strange. It's they they announced a a round of fifty six names in September, mm-hmm. and then they axed it to thirty six, and then they they cut it down to twenty four. Just kind of like just whittling them down by some committee of five sounds like it belongs in game of thrones and not <laughs> competitive surfing are you just describing
0: a ridley scott film
3: is that what it, it kind of has
1: this weird it has a weird feel to it yeah well it's it's meant the the, the idea is that it's meant to be they announce the the people who they think are, are doing well but it's it's people who are out there on a regular basis, like surfing mavericks every time it gets good. They're the ones that are, get the final invite.
2: So uh, Carrie-Anne, who's rejoined the Surf Simply team recently mm-hmm. as uh, doing organising all of the bookings. If you email us, uh, listeners, she'll be the one that replies to you if you're coming to stay with us. But she, she and I were having a really interesting conversation the other, the other day about women in sport and competitive athletes. And when I was reading up a little bit about this earlier today... You know, I ended up reading about sort of equality in in women competition and pay. And then that kind of led me down into transgender athletes. And there's been a lot of interesting discussion about a UFC fighter called Fallon Fox. And then I I just went down this whole rabbit hole. And it's such a fascinating subject. Have you guys heard of a a surfer called uh, Peter Drown? Drown. Druin, sorry, yes. or obviously you have <laughs> more than me. I was, so I was just reading about him today, but he was a Australian champion. He was like a, a really, really famous surfer. He had a sex change in 2003 and became Westerly Windina. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just reading an article on Surfer Mag today, actually from last August, and they're making a film called Becoming Westerly Windina, which is all about his career as a mm-hmm. professional surfer and then like the sex change that he went through and. You know how he's kind of dealt with all, and the conversation that Carrie and I were having was was about the the UFC fighter Fallon Fox, because uh, some of the female fighters were sort of saying that she shouldn't be allowed to fight against the women because she used to be a man. Uh, Ronda Rousey made some interesting comments about how there should be a difference between people who are pre and post-pubescent in when they have their gender reassignment, which Mm -hmm. I thought was kind of interesting. I went started looking at some of the science behind it all and it seems like what the science is saying is that we're having all these conversations about whether people should be categorized as men or as women and when they should be competing together or when they should be separated and in in what way they should be separated Uh, and, and this was off the back also of wondering whether the Mavericks competition, whether the women should be out there at the same time as the men taking off on the same waves, whether it's a contest where they should even be separated into men and women. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, and carry on where I were talking about this over a couple of beers, and you know how everything seems like a better idea after a couple of beers. <laughs> and and we, were, we were sort of thinking, you know, the science seems to be saying that we're asking the wrong question. You know, we're saying, uh, is this person a man or is this person a woman? But every issue of a gender assignment or sexual orientation seems to be that it's on a scale, you know, and the demarcation lines that we put between gay and straight or man and woman are cultural rather than scientific. And actually, we're kind of asking the wrong question by saying, is this person a man or is this person a woman? So we were talking about other ways that you could categorize people in sport. And we kind of came up with the idea of, you know, doing it by weight. And we were just kicking this idea around. And probably it's a terrible idea. I haven't really explored it that much. But we were thinking, so what about instead of having like men's and women's heats, you did heats by weight, the same as you do in, uh, you know, in boxing. You have like you know featherweight, bantamweight, heavyweight, and then you've got people of comparable muscle mass fighting against each other, surfing against each other. that having said that, you know, Ronda Rousey said of Fallon Fox that even though they were fighting at the same weight, she had significantly more bone stru- bone density and muscle mass because she was, uh, was a, a guy that. before, even though she was a similar yeah. weight. But I, you know, I do think it's, it's a really complicated issue and I think it does get massively oversimplified. And I think that as a society, even the most progressive liberals among us are still incredibly unsophisticated just from a scientific point of view and how we're thinking about it. And uh, it'll be really interesting to see how, how, how it's, it's all dealt with just from a practical point of view, you know, in 50 or
3: 100 years time. Yep, yeah. If you were surfing by weight, though, Philippe Toledo would be surfing in a lower weight class than most of the women on the CT. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Just because he's, he's
2: I told you it wasn't a very good idea. Yeah, just he's just <laughs> built differently. But I, you know, I think the point the point is that we need to find some other way of thinking about it,
1: you know, mm-hmm.
3: rather than this just binary man and woman.
1: Next up, and off the back of the ISA games taking place.
3: Am I correct? So there was a QS event and there was an ISA games, both in Hermosa.
1: Both in Hermosa.
3: Yeah. Welcome to Costa Rica. Um, welcome to
1: Costa Rica. So yeah. Um, The WSL and the ISA have finally gotten their heads together and WSL surfers have now been cleared to compete in ISA events.
3: Olympic training has begun.
1: Yeah, so this might not seem like a a huge deal, but yeah, this is all clearly uh, setting everything up for the Olympics because the ISA, the International Surf Association, is the governing body as far as the Olympics are concerned. And up until now, the WSL and the ASP before it had always stopped their athletes from competing on the ISA events, which made the ISA World Games that were in Costa Rica earlier this year. They're pretty amateur. Like Anyone who's trying to compete in any way professionally is a WSL-registered surfer and therefore can't compete on the ISA. So uh, in the short term, the ISA World Games are going to get really interesting because Australia is going to be able to put Mick Fanning and Joel Parkinson up. It, it's going to get really interesting. This so... Th-
2: this basically means, uh, to translate it into layman's terms, that the surfing in the Olympics is going to be interesting, not just everyone watching it going, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Who's that guy? <laughs> oh, that's Tia Blanco. And
3: who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> who's that guy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I also th- I thought it was really interesting that Hawaiian surfers are allowed their own team for the ISA World Games, but Hawaiian surfers have to compete for the US in the Olympics.
2: I think that's because the Olympics is a little bit more official. Yeah. The ISA World Surfing Games is a little bit like, it's, it's a little bit sawdust on the floor, isn't it? Especially
3: <laughs> before the WSL was allowed to take part. Yeah.
4: I, l- I like that Hawaii is going to be part of the USA in this one. Come on, give us John John Florence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring, him bring him over. <laughs> and Chris Amar, please.
1: I'm looking forward to it. I'm not sure where they are next year, is it? Uh, oh.
2: For the ISA World Games? Yeah. I think it's going to be in France.
1: Oh, really? They're yeah. moving continents.
0: I oh, that's so.
2: interesting. That's, that'll be a good venue. I'm not 100% sure. I might have misread it, but I thought this is going to be Yeah, I think
0: it's Beirits. Beirits.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. yeah,
0: March 2017, I believe. There
3: we go. March.
1: Beirits in March. Nice. That'll be really interesting to see what happens because, yeah, up up till now, the ISA World Games have been a bit of a sort of sideline thing within competitive surfing. And
2: I am really stoked that this is happening because it's going to mean the, yeah, watching surfing in the Olympics will be fun and it means watching the ISA World Games will also be a bit more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like I have to just make the point, as I always do on the podcast at these junctures, that I feel that anything which is uh, promoting flag waving is like a negative thing for sport. And anything which is promoting the sport is a good thing for sport. You know, but, but I know that I'm unique in that position. I'd like to see the Olympics run not by country, but just on the merit of the athlete.
1: There was, uh, there was a really interesting... Th- this is not going to mean anything for listeners that are not from the UK, but there is a, a, a national uh, talk radio programme called Radio 4, uh, and every year they run a series of lectures called the Wreath Lectures, and the ones this year are all about identity, and it was a really interesting hour-long lecture, which happened to coincide with me driving from my parents' house to the airport to fly out of the UK, talking about how we identify with nation... Uh, nationhood and patriotism and all the rest of it. It was fascinating. Oh, I'll listen to that. If that's w- a
2: pet subject of mine that I find really interesting. I love it how people talk about they're proud of where they were born like it was mm-hmm. a thing they achieved. <laughs> it, it's an interesting subject just because whenever I like float that idea in front of people, and you and I have had this discussion mm-hmm. before a bunch of times, but the the one objection people always say is they're like, oh, but you know, this is really wonderful about this country or that country and you'd want to throw all that away. Uh, to which I would say that you don 't throw anything away, you can still be inspired and impressed and motivated in in awe of someone 's achievements, as I am of John John, for example, without me being Hawaiian and I think that the advantage of being able to have like that patriotic view of flag waving view of sport is is like yeah there 's a few fun events now and again every few years you know there 's a World Cup or an Olympics, and it 's a bit of fun waving the flag. But the downside and the danger of it to culturally normalize that division that we're already so hardwired evolutionary to put up anyway, well, I think is fairly apparent when you look at a lot of what's going on in Europe and the States at the moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that was a serious... Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Amen. <laughs> I did not segue that into American
3: politics. <laughs> <I was about laughs> we, to are, we,
2: we had an email, didn't we, about six months ago saying, no politics on the podcast, please. So that was as close as we get. We just yeah. did a little like flyby on the tower,
1: and then we're going to like bank away from
2: it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Surf Simply Podcast.
1: Okay, so moving on to the big thing then, the WSL World Tour, the men's and the women's. Uh, we have been off air for quite a while, so we'll start with the men's World Tour. We've had Tahiti uh, out at Chopu. Kelly Slater finally found his form and went on absolute charge, uh, beat John John in the final in great conditions. Uh, and
2: you called it at the start of the year. Did I? Yeah, you, were, you remember right at the start of the year we were talking about who, how well everyone was going to do and you said Slater's not going to have a great year except in Cloud Break and Tahiti. Oh, well, yeah. It's big
1: and barreling. Everyone then moved over to Trestles uh, with the Hurley Pro. Geordie uh, Smith took a, a very well-deserved win, uh, really on form through the whole event. A few judging controversies oh, yeah. uh, through that. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more in a minute because they then went to France. We had the Quicksilver Pro with Keanu Singh getting his rookie win.
3: Heart over height. Heart over height. That
1: was it. I was trying to remember hashtag. what the hashtag was. Hashtag <laughs> heart over height. I have to say, watching all the, you know, seeing his interviews and seeing some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, I like Keanu Singh. I like love Keanu Singh. I love
2: his philosophy of, you know... It wasn't just heart over hype, but he's kind of said a couple of times in the interview how, like, I'm not a particularly talented surfer. I'm just going to work really hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is something that Adriano de Souza has said
1: as well. I, I really yeah. like that approach. You know? Yeah. Um, and then, lastly, finishing up just last week, uh, the Portugal event, the Rip Curl Pro, and a new world champion in John John Florence. Uh, Yay! <laughs> Yay.
3: <laughs> so
1: congratulations to John John. I think. I mean. I'm very pleased with the way that went. The way that this tour has been going, and the way that he's been competing over the year, I, I think that's a well-deserved
3: world title. The Portugal contest was great too. Mm. That was great viewing.
2: It was so cool. It's so cool seeing someone as a world champion that everyone agrees is the best surfer around. Yes, you there's no controversy I mean? in this mm-hmm. one, is there? Ev- everyone is stoked to see him win, and I think that it, it it's a really good thing for the WSL because. there's there's no difference between who's the best free surfer and who's the world champion. So I think it kind of legitimizes the WSL. I was watching it in bed. We were in, where was I? Maybe I was here. I think we just got back from Hawaii, maybe. It was the day we got back.
0: Yeah, we were all in bed together. (laughs) <laughs> in our pyjamas that's yeah. how we'll sleep so simply like the muppets one massive bed <laughs> 30 feet wide
2: i was no it was like three in the morning i was kind of jet lagged and i was yeah i was watching it in bed and uh, you know there was like three minutes of the heat left and if uh, you know if connor coffin beat geordie then uh, john john was going to win the title yeah and and, st- and john john was just on the beach with his headphones in you know not even looking stony-faced Mick Fanning, or looking, you know, over celebration, just kind of like calmly watching the heat. And Strider sort of bounced up to him and was like, you know, basically saying, "You're about to win. You're about to win. How do you feel? How do you feel?" And John John was basically just saying, calm down, Strider. It's like, it's a bit of time left. Let's all just take a breath."
1: Yeah, it's it's really nice to see someone that seems so humble. Uh, yeah. a, a, you know, someone who has so much to claim, and who. Just doesn't really seem to stand up you know put himself on the podium yeah it's like his Um, barrel
4: riding isn't it like he's like just super calm and confident there too (laughs) without freaking out
1: (laughs) uh actually
2: the moment that he won was one of my favorite moments of competitive surfing ever you know because geordie had just got ahead and there was i think like one minute 27 left or something and then connor coffin pulled into that nine point ride and, you know, you didn't know if he was going to come out. And the moment he came out, you knew that John John was going to win the title. How is and it that... was such an amazing moment of drama.
3: So I have an interesting question. So everyone's obviously really happy that John John won the world title. And I've heard about a million times how it was good for the WSL and it was good for surfing. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, I think that Adriano's world title is going to go down as being more impactful. Because... Adriano showed that you can work really hard and, and win that it's it's not unobtainable and I'd argue that I don't know if John John would have won if Adriano didn't show last year how much coaching and hard work pays off.
2: So watching some of the videos that have been going around the the interwebs, you know, John John's road to the title and John John's year and there's a bunch of them all going around. And when you see John John being interviewed, you really see how much he has thought about his competitive strategy, Mm -hmm. and he's worked very hard dissecting Adriano's heats and Mick's
3: heats, uh, as well as his own. When fanning one, we saw a little bit of it that, you know, hard work matters and that heat strategy matters and how you prepare matters, but Mick is still a freak talent. You know, when he was a kid, he was still the next big thing. Adriano, no one has ever said, you know, oh, Adriano's coming through the pipeline. He is the next big thing. And every time they interviewed a world tour surfer, uh, the world tour surfer always said, yeah, it was, it was amazing that Adriano won. You know, he worked really hard. He's dedicated his life for this. And that's, that's what I'm going to do this year. That's what Wilco said at the beginning of the year. John John said it in interviews. So. Ollie,
2: who you know used to coach with us for, for a long time, and has now moved back to the
3: UK, he and I would often
2: have this discussion. You know the old nature nurture, hard work versus talent discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would sort of advocate that talent, the nature side, the genetics. You know that was the more significant factor. And I don't necessarily think that he's wrong. I mean, scientifically, I don't think that there's clear evidence either way. But I do really like the idea that hard work always trumps talent because it's less deterministic and it, you know, it makes me feel like I'm <laughs> yeah. more in control of my own <laughs> destiny. Maybe and I like, not make the not world think tour. That? What's the downside of, of taking that approach, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it's a good, it's a good lesson for us all to take home, not just kids, but surfers of all ages, you know?
3: Yeah. I, I'm i excited that we have guys like Mendina and John John who now have the freakish talent and the work ethic. So I think we got a good rivalry next year. I, I, if you look at, the picture of John John's world title, like the when he rose the trophy over his head, yeah. it's like him really happy and celebrating with the trophy over his head. And if you look behind him, Gabriel Medina's on the event poster, it's like the <laughs> event
4: poster is Gabriel Medina.
3: And it's, I think, the next 10 years are really going to be back and forth between John John and, and Gabriel.
2: Yeah, I think that Gabriel Medina and John John are just they're just on like a bit of a different plane to everyone else mm-hmm. even when you watch the free surfing in between uh, heats yeah they just you know they they're just such standouts in the water both of them and I'm so excited to watch them watch that rivalry
1: watch that rivalry grow and it, it, an interesting side to that rivalry was obviously going back to during the Trestles contest there were a couple of heats where the judging seemed to go a little bit awry in particular and and most consequentially i i suppose after John John very legitimately uh, lost fairly early on in Trestles and Medina had a chance to catch up and, in fact, take the yellow jersey from him, uh, which would have made, you know, everything different by the time we got to Portugal. Medina was put out when most of the internet and most of the people watching and, in fact, a lot of the World Tour surfers themselves seemed to think Medina had uh, had won that heat. And it it wasn't the only heat that had some controversial calls made.
4: Yeah, he won the heat but also like the scoring of the other surfer which was tanner was just totally off too so yeah yeah maybe gabriel should have won that heat but the scores for both surfers were just all over the place anyways yeah um, it,
1: it, it didn't seem like there was there was any consistency to the way that that stuff was being scored you know i've i've sort of
2: done a bit of kelly bashing in the past for some of his woolly thinking when it comes to science topics that are off surfing but one thing that I really love is he did an Instagram post about this heat. Mm-hmm. And when he talks about surfing and particularly competitive surfing, he is so good at cutting through all of the ambiguous woolly language and yep. saying this and this specific thing. And you know just seeing his Instagram post about the heat between Tanner and Gabriel uh, was just, I mean, it was, it was so concise. I can't wait until he's a commentator. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: The lowest contest is one of the first, I, I don't remember the last time I've just missed watching a full event and had to watch the whole thing on like in yeah, heat analyzer but i was in the middle of the jungle at the time and i was actually staying with a couple mendina fans and they were just going on and on about the heat and how he should have made it and when i re-watched the heat i thought it was really close like it, it was it could have gone either way but surfing's mm-hmm. subjective and that's why we like it 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 wasn't you know an end of the world kind of thing you know you As a surfer in a heat, you want to make it clear that you won. You don't want to leave it to those split-hair decisions because they can go either way. And like you said, I thought Kelly's breakdown was was great. Uh, He talked about how Tanner's first wave, which I think was maybe an 8-6-7, was the best wave of the heat. And then everything else was kind of skewed from there. They're judging it was high on some, low on some. But when when he went through and, and he scored the heat, what he thought, Tanner still came out on top.
4: That's what I thought too when I watched the heat. I thought that Tanner did a better job surfing than Gabriel did. He did more turns with with speed, power, and flow, whereas Gabriel did less turns and with less speed, power, and flow. In my opinion,
1: I think the uh, you know the big thing because the 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 heat the day before when Julian Wilson and Matt Wilkinson both got put out again. Matt Wilkinson, who's you know in the title race at that point, both got put out to again some judging that was considered controversial. The thing that I don't understand is that we never hear from the judges uh you know th- th- there is a judging panel there is a head judge richie porter who, whose job it is to talk to the surface to talk to the judges to talk to the wsl commissioners why is he not coming on air and explaining look and, and it would be okay for him to come on and say look we, we made a mistake like something went wrong here um and you know maybe that was bad maybe we should resurf that heat or to, to come on and, and, and explain why it wasn't a mistake, why, look, here's what we saw, here's what we were judging on that day. And I think what's a little problematic, uh, you know, a lot of the internet chatter wasn't necessarily about the controversial judging, but the fact that uh, you know, when Julian Wilson and Gabriel Medina and Matt Wilkinson all put posts up, that actually there was the threat of them being fined. Um, you know, Jeremy Flores has been fined in the past it's, a,
2: it. it's in the rule book, isn't it? It's
1: in the rule book, you know, bringing the WSL into dispute, and the problem is the commentators are also under the same contract, and so you, you know, at least if I don't know an NFL or a, a football soccer game, depending which side of the Atlantic you're on. Okay, the referee makes a bad decision. The players can get fined if they dispute the referee's decision. And FIFA, which is the governing body, are you know, going to protect. The bastion but, of
2: honesty the, the transparency. bastion. <laughs> yeah,
1: But what I was going to say is, at least all the commentators that are sitting there commentating the sport are free to say what they feel. Whereas actually, because the WSL is now so encompassing, they own the athletes, they own the commentators, they own the media
3: output... I thought the commentators were pretty good in lowers. They, they were disputing it. Peter Mel, for yeah. example. Peter Mel pretty much always disagrees with everyone, <laughs> which I think is pretty
2: funny. In a really, like, charming way.
3: Yeah. He's, like, endearing, like, oh, Uncle Peter getting crazy again at the commentating table. But
1: only for that one thing. You know, it then moved on. There was no follow-up. Mm-hmm. Like, Peter Mel wasn't then going and saying, like, well, hold on. Why is this happening? Grabbing people, interviewing people, because he couldn't. Whereas, yeah. you know, if if CNN or Fox Sport or whatever, if they want to go and start chasing for answers, they can do that.
2: You know, but we've talked about this before and, it, and it's not just within the WSL, although I do agree with you, but mm. the surfing community itself is so small that everyone is afraid to rub everyone else up the wrong way. The interesting point that you made before, Asher, about the judging being subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it, in critical thinking, there's this interesting fallacy where people confuse things that are just very complex with being unknowable and subjective. You know, the example that they would use is like the weather. You know, you, you can't predict uh, whether it's gonna start raining at like one o'clock or at four o'clock, but that's not because it's unknowable, that's just because the amount of complexity is way beyond what we have the computing power to, to compute, right? And I think that the judging of surfing Possibly falls into a similar there's a similar error that's made when people talk about it People say it's really subjective and and actually i don't think it is i think it is possible to do it very objectively I think it is super super complex and I think that there are a few things that could be implemented to help reduce that complexity and and make it a more ob- objective process and I don't think it's helpful when people go down the route if you're saying, oh, well, it's subjective, so whatever, because I, I think it can be broken
3: down. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty hard to, I mean, surfing, there's just so many different routes you can take it. It's really, really tough for those judges to compare someone who, like, let's say, Michelle Berez, who's doing critical on-rail surfing that is incredibly difficult, and then you put him up against Miguel Pupo, who's doing really difficult surfing, but it's, it's all above the lip and technical and aerials. And it's hard to say, you know, which am I going to score harder? Yeah. And it's really difficult with the surfers not knowing either. It's not like the judges say, today, the conditions are ABC. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for this. It, it's hard.
2: Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. But, but I think that the issue is complexity. And the, the solution is better communication. I don't yeah. think the solution is sort of us waving our hands in the air, saying, "Oh, well, it's it's creative and it's subjective and who
1: can say?" You know what yeah. I mean? I agree, Ruth. I think there's a lot of little things that can be done just to to make it easier to understand.
3: And the last piece of news is, it seems that we're not the only ones inspired by John John's performance this season. Kelly Slater is giving it one more go at the title and well, then yeah, calling it, it quits.
1: It's sort of a double bit of news, isn't it? He's he said he's coming back next year and he's going to put all his other projects to one side and give Mm -hmm. it a real shot at winning the title and then that's it that's it that's it that's no more Kelly
2: so it's it's really exciting because yeah it's really exciting because I want to see you know how well he could do I would love to see him win a title at 45 Mm -hmm. or it'll be 46 at the end of next year which would be just absolutely phenomenal uh, I would already I would already argue he's he's the greatest athlete that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just across the board outside of surfing as well. Yeah. Um, but what will be quite interesting is in the past he has attributed both succeeding and failing to having other stuff going on in his life and the world title race not being the most important thing. Yeah. So when he's not done well he said, Oh well I've got this going on and I've got that going on. And when he's done really well, he's been like, oh, well, that's because I've got other things going on and the, I, I'm not putting too much pressure on myself. I'm just having fun. Yeah. So now he's said quite categorically that those other projects are going to be on one side and he is going to be completely focused on it. I, I wonder whether that will be an advantage or a disav- disadvantage.
1: Yeah, it would be interesting to see. it. The thing that does actually give me a little faith in him, the, you mentioned earlier that I called he would do well at Tahiti, but I also called that he wouldn't do well at Trestles. And that was not the case. He did really well. He did really well at Trestles. Um, so he's obviously still got the... You know, Trestles, of all the stops on tour, was, was would probably be the one that you would expect, you know, the younger guys that are more quicker on their feet and smaller surf, you know, that's where you would expect to see maybe Kelly struggle. It's certainly where he seemed to struggle in the past. And he went out there and killed it. I was so. watching
2: this morning some of the footage from Tahiti and... There was there's one, I can't remember what heater was, but there was one wave where he took off really, really late, pretty much airdropped, and then had to compress his body so that the lip just kind of missed mm. his head. And then, without grabbing the rail on his heels, he pulled the board back up the face and then it chandeliered on him. But he was so compressed that even though the board dropped away from him as he came out of the barrel, he was able to extend mm-hmm. and like keep his balance and then come on through. And it was just a phenomenal piece of athleticism from a 19 year old yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 you know uh, however old he is 44 45 yeah so i mean he doesn't look like physically he's he's struggling he's struggling in way, but, or or i mean he, he must be i mean it, he just must be i don't
3: know <laughs> i mean i'm 38 <laughs> and i know how i feel i'm 24 and I, i'm sore <laughs> i surf g-land for a couple hours and i can barely walk the next day
1: that was the men's world tour. The women's world tour rolled through. They uh, also competed in Trestles with Tyler Wright winning over Steph Gilmore, um, taking the yellow jersey. Uh, they moved on to Portugal and then on to France and Tyler Wright has just claimed her world title, which again, I'm really Woo. pleased about. I think that is a, an incredibly well-deserved... Uh, world title that she's fought really, really hard for over the course of the year.
4: Yeah, I agree. Just going back to what we were saying about working hard, she definitely has been working hard this whole year. Um, and Glenn Hall has been her coach and not only has we been coaching her technical surfing and competing, but also dealing with her brother and that whole incident with, with him yeah. and this year and it's been cool to see her fight through that like emotional battle with her brother and then also win a world title which I thought was really cool. But she's basically, she's won four events yeah. out of nine so far. She might win Maui, you never know. Um, but I, I think that's crazy.
3: Is Tyler Wright the best female tube rider ever? Steph Gilmore is a pretty good
2: tube rider. She's
3: got the finesse game, but Tyler can just pull into a keg. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know.
2: Laura Ediva can pull into a keg as well.
3: That's true. That The, the footage of Tyler Wright at Cloudbreak this year, that big, no-handed left barrel. Yeah, that's that true. was that. That should be it. That was like an 11 in a men's event. Yeah, that was incredible.
2: Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I I, I think we've uh, we've bigged up Tyler Wright on every episode where we've talked about women surfing specifically. I'm I'm so pleased to see her win a yeah. world title. Yeah, just uh, awesome.
4: Going back to gender competing you would be against tyler Wright in a contest for weight and uh, height purposes oh so. man i'd be so screwed good luck with that one <laughs> <laughs> do yeah. i
2: need to put on or lose masses of weight in order to stand at any chance of winning <laughs> on the international
1: stage
4: just more muscle <laughs> <laughs> ouch <laughs> that's tough
1: um in a way it's a little bit of a shame now we both of the world titles are sewn up and we've still got I and mean, what are probably the best two events. Uh we've got the the Maui Pro at Honolulu Bay and then obviously the Pipe Pro for the men which are two of the best contests and it's always great when the you know the world title comes down to those events but
2: the Pipe Pro is such a big deal anyway it's still super exciting to
1: watch even if it doesn't come down to the world title.
2: Yeah. Well it is my favorite event on the calendar.
3: Yeah, it's a really good event.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm just hoping that, that, you know, we get some good conditions for both, that they're they're just spectacular events in and of themselves, and last year, the the Maui Pro was so, you know, the waves that the girls were surfing there were so good.
2: It was Um, so good. In fact, you know, when we were there last week, three days before we arrived, there was footage going around the interwebs of Pipe just going off, really early season, and then we got there, and the whole week, Pipe didn't really break at all, and then... Like the day we got back, there was more footage of it just going on. Yeah, What are you
4: talking about? I surfed knee-high back door. It was amazing. We were, sitting, we
2: were sitting out there and it was like almost flat with a bit of a rip current rowing through it and an onshore wind and we were like, this is it. This is what they're looking in at. There's the houses. You know?
1: We
4: are here.
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, roll, rolling in the, the next couple of contests um, is obviously the, the men's pipeline event is starts December 8th. Uh, the women's event at uh, Honolulu starts on the November 23rd uh, there's also the Triple Crown uh, starting on November 12th it's always going to be a big scramble now to see who makes it onto the World Tour for next year.
3: Especially with the void of 10 stars this year Yes. Those are two important events, <laughs> Haleiwa and Sunset. Two very, very important events.
2: So, so yeah, listeners, the, the real drama of watching the Triple Crown is to find out who's going to be on tour next year. So it's the Haleiwa contest, mm-hmm. and then pretty much straight afterwards is the Sunset contest, and then straight after that is the Pipe Masters. And the, of those three contests, which make up the Hawaiian Triple Crown, sponsored by Vans, the Pipe Masters is a world tour event, and Haleiwa and Sunset are WQS events. Yeah. But quite a lot of the World Tour surfers do Haleiwa and Sunset as well, partly because it just the Triple Crown mm-hmm. has got a lot of prestige in and of itself, but also because if they're in the lower half of the rankings, and they do really well in those events, even if they drop off the World Tour from their World Tour rankings, they can requalify separately from having done really well in those two contests, usually combined with a couple of other yeah. highly ranked QS events through the year. So that's the that's the conversation that you'll be hearing the commentators have all the way through
1: certainly Eva and Sunset. Okay ladies and gents that's about all we've got time for for this episode but we will be back very very shortly with episode 35 part B. Before we go just a few quick what to watches to tide you over until then uh, there's been lots and lots of stuff out any anything caught your eye particularly well?
0: i recently watched the ulu aloha film by etienne aurelius okay um it's just it's some really nice storytelling about jimmy napiahi he got attacked by a shark on hawaii the big island Mm -hmm. he didn't lose any appendages but he had quite severe injuries Mm -hmm. Um, and it basically just tells tells the story about his recovery and it's beautiful beautiful cinematography it's a mix of great storytelling and really beautiful visual visuals um, he's a hurley surfer. He absolutely charges that pipeline, and there's some really cool footage there. So it's just a short, you know, seven minutes or something. It's really interesting to watch. Definite Fantastic recommendation.
1: Any uh, anything
0: special caught your eye, Jesse?
4: I love Alex Gray. I think he's an incredible surfer, and I like the Alex Gray sandal tan. It's a two-minute video, but really nice. It shows him surfing warm water for once. He's usually up surfing freezing cold water in Alaska and stuff. So shows him getting his feet tan in a um, bunch of different waves around like Mexico. And he goes to Tavarua and all these different spots. It's really beautiful.
3: Asher, anything caught your eye? Ooh, I got a, a two-prong of videos I loved. First up, Steph Gilmore and The Tempest. Yeah. Whew, that is beautiful. My nose for Monster Children, which is a really, really good magazine. If any of the listeners are looking for some light reading material, yeah, Monster Children's sure. really good. And uh, Ryan Birch and his... Recent edit, I think it's called Influent, yep. and it's all ASYM's, asymmetric surfboards at Cloudbreak, and it really is persuasive to both get an asymmetric surfboard and go to
1: Cloudbreak. It's been interesting. I've seen a lot of the, the asymmetrics really seem to have been taking off, because wasn't Josh Kerr riding a whole asymmetric quiver at mm-hmm. Tahiti this year?
0: He did, yeah. Yeah, 5'9 to 6'0 oh, quiver.
3: Yeah, uh, Ryan Birch's footage of him on asymmetrics is pretty much what made me go to G-Land. It was like my favorite footage ever. So I love watching Ryan surf. So very
1: cool. He makes that board look so
2: loose, doesn't
3: he? Makes it look like the best surfboard ever. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing.
1: Very cool. Well, my my little recommendation for you, ladies and gentlemen, is very predictable given our new world champion. But while we've been off air, episode three and episode four of John John series twelve both been released. Very very cool to see.
3: Have you read the Surfers Journal cover story about John John? It's all about, it's a, it's a Rory Parker article and it's all about why he hates Jon Jon <laughs> because of how awesome his life is. But it's really, really well written. So I thought that would go well with that recommendation for video. Yeah. Watch,
1: watching the 12 video, Jon Jon lives the life that I would want to. He sails, he flies planes, he goes surfing. <laughs> so
4: but you, you
2: know? know what really blows me away about Jon Jon is that he, there's a lot of people in the world who get to live a life as well. Not maybe quite as good as that with the world mm. titled and everything, but basically get to live a life pretty much on par with that and are not happy with it. Yeah, and I th- what really blows me away about him is that he doesn't seem to take any of it for granted, yeah. and um, yeah, that that's actually a, a more difficult place to get to, which is amazing.
4: That's mm. because they don't get to get barreled at pipeline and back door, they're missing that part of the puzzle. That's that's <laughs> that's the key to happiness, exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, join us again very shortly. For now, from all of us,
0: bye. Bye. bye That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.